はい皆さん元気かーい北海道パワーを受けてきたホストのエリオット前の聞いたクラスありがとうございますえー、北海道そうっす、えー、今北海道の千歳市で録音していて明日の朝に名古屋に帰る予定ですえー、なので、えー、実際にポッドキャストをアップロードするときは、す、え、で、ー、に名古屋に書いた後になると思うんですけれども、まあえー、もう一泊、北海道でして、えー、明日の朝から本州ですね、えー。今回は第10話です、えー。開始してから約5ヶ月で10話ですね。何でも一歩ずつ。あの今日のゲストについてはめっちゃワクワクしてるんですけども、えー、その前に一つだけ報告ですあの皆さん雑誌のウェッジはご存知ですかねあの東,海道東海道新幹線のグリーン車に乗っているビジネス雑誌ですがあの今年で30周年ですね、えー、そのために昨日昨日というか今日ですね4月20日えー、発売された5月号では新時代に挑む30人を取り上げてますけれどもその30人のリストにはですね大学の教授あの映画監督プロスポーツ選手起業家実業家そして僕うん僕ですね実は冗談ではありませんえー、なぜか僕もこの30人のうちとして選定されました信じられるあのもちろん声に思いますがまあ僕よりもベターな人はざらにおるんじゃないかなと思っていてまあえーまあ、それは奥として、えー、僕のグローブル愛知での活躍や大学院時代の研究活動が紹介されてますのであの皆さんぜひ、えー、ご一読ください、えー、北海道新幹線のグリーン車には乗ってますし、えー、でまた、まあ、ターミナル駅でですねあの発売されてるかと思いますのでぜひゲットして、えー、読んでくださいはいということは、まあ、今日のゲストは北海道のニセコで大成功を収めてきたロスフィンドレーさんですねあのスキースキーですねあの山のスキーのことですねスキーが好きな方はきっとご存知かと思うんですけれどもあのニセコは北海道の札幌から来るまで約2時間にあるところでしてあの日本に類のない国際的なスキーリゾート地になってます25年以上前、えー、から、えー、本日のゲスト、ロストさんは、このスキービジネスに携わっていますが、彼はですね、ニセコの大自然、えー、都市源を生かして、えー、アウトドア領域全般へと、えー、ビジネスを拡大していった、えー、先駆者ですで。ラフティングから出発して、あの結局、ナックを設立するにあ至りました。で、ナックは、ニセコアドベンチャーセンターの頭文字、えー、から取った略,略なんですが、えー、現在、ロスさんが代表取締役を務めており、また80人以上も雇用していますが、えー、ラフティングやスキーだけじゃなくて、マウンテンバイキング、えー、クライミング、カヤック、アドベンチャーパーク、
、まあ、あの、アウトドア全般ですね、えー、を提供している、えー、まあ、サービスセンターになります。で、年を追うごとに観光客が増えて、あの、今でもブームの最中ですが、ロスさんがニセコの顔となり、あのス,ポークスポークスパーさんでもありますあの観光誘致や地方創生においてさまざまな委員会に参加したり行政に対して政策提言を行ったりしてビジネスだけではなくあの地域社会に非常に大きく貢献しておられる方ですねロスさんの成功を、えーまあ、自分の春で感じたくてはるばる北海道まで旅立ち札幌から電車に電車にタクシーでやっとニセコにたどり着きましたでも着く前にもあのこの素晴らしい景色と開放感からその、まあ、生きがいですね、えー、おすでに感じていましたニセコや、まあ、その周りの地域はやっぱり言葉では表しがたいほどすごくて美しくて、えー、そしてロスさんが、まあ、そこで作ったもの、えー、からとてつもない刺激を受けてきましたあの本人は Made it in Japan の見本これからもさらなる成功を重ね,重ねていくような気がします、えー、皆さんはぜひ自分の目で見てみてみくださいロースさんは日本語がもちろんペラペラなんですけれどもインタビューは全部英語になってますあの英語の挨拶が終わってからあのインタビューが始まりますので日本の方々はぜひ頑張って、えー、英語で聞いてみてくださいそしてナックの2階にあるジョージョースというカフェでえー、録音をしたのでたまに少し雑音が入りますが、えー、音質は特に、えー、大きな問題はないかと思いますはい日本語は以上、えー、改めて聞いてくださり感謝しています良いゴールデンウィークをお過ごしください Hello everybody and welcome to the 10th episode of Made in Japan Thanks as always for listening This is your host Elliot Conti Uh, we made it to 10, 10 episodes, people.、Uh, some might think of that as an accomplishment. And for the 10th episode, I'm,、uh, I'm, I'm super excited. We have an excellent guest. And before we move into that, I have one quick announcement、uh, I would like to make. The, the May edition,、uh, which came out on April 20th, of Wedge, which is a business magazine in Japan,、uh, which is mainly found on the Tokaido bullet train. Uh, put out a special edition to celebrate its 30th year anniversary. And the theme is Pioneers of the New Age, which features interviews with 30 people selected to be next, generations, next generation leaders here in Japan. And it's quite an impressive list、uh, with professors, movie director, professional athletes, entrepreneurs, CEOs, <clears throat> and for whatever reason,、uh, me. I am also included on, on this list.、Uh, it's a one page report which briefly covers my work at Global Aichi, the NPO I manage in Nagoya, and also my master's research, which consisted of three years of fieldwork in the most impoverished area in Osaka.、Uh, well, in all of Japan, that is. 
And honestly, I'm not I'm not sure what they had to do to to slip me past the editors there. But anyway, I am uh, I'm honored to be included on the list, and I take my hat off to the the 29 other uh, much more deserving and uh, accomplished men and women who are featured there. And I'm sure that they will surely play crucial roles in helping support Japan through the impending uh, population decline. Which is actually a good segue for today's episode because uh, today's guest has done a tremendous amount in terms of regional development and contribution to to community uh, here in Japan for over 20, 25 years now. My guest today is Mr. Ross Finley, uh, the director of NAC. Uh, or Niseko Adventure Center, which is located in the, in the mountains of Hokkaido. Niseko, uh, which is the name of the, the town, is famous for skiing, and it was seasonal work in this industry that originally brought uh, Ross here from Australia back in 1989. But it was what Ross did from there, however, that is truly special. Uh, rather than focusing on skiing, uh, which obviously only... Uh, operates in the winter, he focused his energies on year-round tourism. And so he began with rafting, which didn't exist in the region prior to his attempt. And he branched off then into a plethora of other outdoor activities following his initial success. Uh, Right now he's got, uh, including rafting, mountain biking, kayaking, uh, an outdoor adventure park. Uh, He's got a climbing wall inside the center, and his success has only continued. Uh, Niseko is now, in many ways, the Aspen of Japan, uh, hosting by far the largest ski resort in the country, and it is the center for international skiing and outdoor activities in, in pretty much all of Asia. Ross's name and the NAC brand are now synonymous with Niseko, and it is one of the shining examples of the the tourism industry revitalizing regional areas here in Japan. In many ways, the spokesperson for this development, Ross uh, serves on various committees working with local and national governments and the tourism industry to sustain the area's growth and provide insight on how other regions can perhaps learn Uh, from Niseko's success. Ross and I did the interview in Jojo's, which is the cafe located located on the second floor of his adventure center, and it looks out on a spectacular spectacular view of Yote Mountain, uh, which we discussed briefly at the beginning of the interview. I was honored to meet Ross, and I found his story very motivational, and I hope that all of my listeners, both in and outside of Japan, uh, can take something from his success as well because the dude is absolutely crushing it. So without further ado, I give you Mr. Ross Finley. Thanks as always, and see you next time. Thank you very much, Ross, for doing this. That's okay. Yeah, and this is a wonderful seat with the the mountain here behind you. Uh, yeah, Yotesan, it's a beautiful mountain. Yeah, uh, what? How how tall is that actually? It's one thousand eight hundred and ninety eight meters. Wow. Okay. So uh, it's it's not real big. Yeah. You know, it's under two thousand meters, but 
Yeah. yeah. It is beautiful though, just uh, this, this view. We'll have to get a picture after this and I can put it up so that people have an understanding of <laughs> what we're discussing now. Yeah, but, for sure. Yeah. Mm. Um, anyway, uh, to get started, uh, you are one of the, the more interesting stories that I've seen in the seven years I've been here in Japan. And okay. <laughs> interviewing today pr provided me with my first opportunity to come up here to Hokkaido. Mm -hmm. um, and I flew out of Tokyo this morning and I arrived in Shinchitose Airport. And from there I've taken uh, two trains and then a taxi okay. to finally arrive here in Niseko. Yeah, in winter there's a bus service, but they're kind of yeah. not there anymore, I don't think. Ah, uh, yeah. Mm. It's quite a hike to get up here. Yeah? Uh, yeah, it is. Yeah. What we're seeing, once people have come here once in the summer or the winter, they usually end up renting a car ah. at the airport and yeah, finding yeah. their way over. Yeah. So it's, it's actually um, causing a little bit of problems in, the, in this resort area. We're getting too many cars, <laughs> too much traffic. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But anyway, so how does someone like you, you are Australian, end up here? It seems, you know... Uh, okay, I was, oh, um, came here in 1989. Yeah. And in Australia at the time, it was a recession. And I graduated studying sports science and sports administration at university. And there just wasn't any jobs. Mm. And we could feel the effects of the Japanese bubble. And, you know, Anything, if you knew anything about Japan, it was a way easier to get a job. So I thought if I came to Japan, it'd be mm. something might rub off on me and it'd be easier for me to get a job. So I came over here as a ski instructor. In 89, season. wow. Yeah. And um, what rubbed off on me was my wife. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> a Japanese lady, I, I presume. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Well, actually, I, I'll be honest that I'm not. Uh, I'm not totally different from that. Uh, <laughs> uh, interests in the opposite sex were one of the things that I think uh, furthered my interest in Japan <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> when I came here as an international student seven years ago. Okay, so you start off uh, coming here for what's originally a season, yeah? Yep, and, and then the next season and then moved over to here at hmm. the end of that season and sort of been here since 91. In Hirafu, by 92, the, the ski bubble was all over. 93, things were getting desperate. Mm. Um, especially 94. 94, sort of, the con sort of the construction business go right down. No one wanting to build anything anymore. Really? And a mm. lot of companies going under. The, the whole tourism business went down. That, I think that was the real start of the, the recession in Japan. Okay. And, um, all around this Hirafu area, people wanted sort of they were losing their winter uh, customer base, mm. and you know they virtually didn't have enough money to repay their loan anymore. Right on their pensions right, and their right. hotels and things, and everyone was saying, "We need something for summer. We need something for summer." And I was working in a construction company in town here for mm. those years, and um, I just thought, well, you know, there's nothing to do, no one will come, so we need to make something for people to do. And so mm. I decided to start a rafting company. And yeah, wow. here we have. Yeah. Knack, Nisegoda Adventure Center. Yeah. Uh, have you seen the movie Field of Angels? 
what's uh, Field of Angels. Yeah. No? What's Field it's of a, it's a baseball movie. I think uh, Kevin Costner was Field in of it. Dreams. Or, sorry, Field <laughs> of Dreams. Yeah, yeah. I mix I mixed that with another uh, Angels in the Outfield. Another, okay. Yeah, horrible baseball movie there. But uh, if if you build it, they will come. Right? Is that sort yeah. of the the idea? Yeah, you know, it was just a young, you know, we we're just just married, and it was just a young people sort of way of thinking. But mm. you know, we we kept our risk to a minimum. Yeah, and you know, we bought one boat and sold our car and got a hiatus instead, and <laughs> and sort of you know kept kept the um, the risk to a minimum. And if it didn't work, it didn't work. Right. So. It wasn't sort of like Field of Dreams. It was like, let's give it a try and see what happens. Yeah. And if we can make something of it, that's great. If it doesn't work, then we'll, you know, have to work hard the next couple of years to pay back, you know, get some back some of the money. Okay. So uh, you sort of start on a lark. And how was it at first? Were lots of people interested in rafting? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, I started with myself and, of course, my wife. But rafting was just one boat. And then... Mm. So many people, we thought we'd get a couple of hundred that year in the, on the weekends and we got them in the first month. Really? So <laughs> we decided to sort of um, find some more people to help. And yeah. so we ended up running four rafts. We bought a few more rafts and mm. we um, trained up a few of the guys that were... Usually everyone, the young people, always went home mm. away from Hirafu to wherever they came from. But there was a few people left over there in the summer and they came and helped me. And mm. they were our first staff, our first rafting guides. And we got 1,500 people that year and 7,500 the next year. Wow. And sort of, you know, it was, it was making a good progression over the first few years. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Um, now, how, how hot does it get here in the, the summer? My, my perception um, of Hokkaido is not necessarily no, rafting. It's just nice. Right? It's up yeah. to about 30 degrees on the hot days. Really? Wow. Uh, it doesn't last too long, but, yeah. you know, it's it's nice time on the river and you, when you get a nice warm day and you, you're jumping in the river and swimming a lot. Yeah. Mm. I imagine it doesn't have the humidity of Honshu. No. Yeah. So, if we jump all the way to now, we're mm. in... Nisigo's become an international resort. Right. It's one of its greatest values is the weather in the summer. As a as a year round, not just a ski resort, as a year round resort. Right, right. For Asia and talking about outdoor sports and outdoor lifestyle, mm. I think this has to be the capital. Yeah, yeah. Well, so b before we jump to now, let's <laughs> rewind just a little sure. bit. So how did we continue building? So we, you start running four rafts, you get up to 7,500 customers. Yeah, 7,500 yeah. was with about eight, eight oh, rafts eight or rafts, ten okay. rafts, I can't remember. Yeah. Um, and then that was the first couple of years. We took the first couple of years worth of results to the bank. Mm. And of course, at that stage, it was, you know, we're talking about 96, I think. 90, 95, 96, yeah, just at the start, start of 97, Yeah, we took the results to the bank and said we want to um, buy some land and build something because we didn't have any building or anything where we can meet the customers and we wanted to build sure. a centre and, yeah. and sort of make, you know, start off a summer business for Nisiko and sort of make something that said, you know, if you're going to do a rafting company doing outdoors, this is what you have to do and this is where you're sitting at the moment in this big wooden building yeah yeah <laughs> but beautiful facility too uh that was 
just before April. Yeah. We went down there in February. And of course, the bank had no one to loan money to because the construction business was gone, the, mm. the tourism business was gone. Right. And so the local banks just were quite desperate to make an impression on their their um, their parent co- company. Mm-hmm. And so they need to loan money out. Right. So they were actually desperate to loan money. And so <laughs> I bought them two years worth of great results. Yeah. Because you're starting for zero. So of course, it's going to look good. Sure, sure. And uh, he sort of said, you know, Ross, you know, these things sort of peak and then t- taper and off quite out, a lot yeah. uh, in Japan. But, yeah. you know, you've got two years of good results there. And so they end up loaning some money and we started off there. Wow. And built that building over the next year and a half. So it was finished in 98. And sort of started slowly adding different things on to the company. Mm. And different adventures, different races, events, camps. Mm. Um, yeah. So, so this building then is 21 years old. It's a lot older than that. It's a recycled oh, really? um, school gymnasium. Really? Yeah. All yeah. Of the the wooden beams and everything. So, uh, yeah. m- m- most of your listeners probably wouldn't know unless they're you know around the age of around 60, 70 or something. Yeah. Most of the school buildings were all wooden ones. Right. And yeah. this used to be a wooden gymnasium for a, a middle school in a town about 50 k's from here. So we pulled it all apart. And really? It here. Yeah. So you got, got your hands on the materials fairly fairly cheaply then? Or it was the price of labor cost because we pulled it apart ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And bought it over here and then right. helped uh, with some carpenters, with some new uh, uh, stuff, of course, some new uh, yeah, building materials and put it back together. Okay. Mm. Well, I yeah, it, this... It definitely has a... Oh, sorry. Yeah, so the building sort of looks straight onto Yote-san, which is a mountain that looks like Fuji-san. Right. And it's all wooden because I wanted the sort of outdoor feel. Used to be a big building in the area, but there's so much big buildings going on now. It looks quite small. Yeah. Uh, We put a cafe, a shop downstairs, and a rock climbing wall in it. Mm. Just because, as the bank guy said you might not be able to rely on rafting forever. So we still had to pay off the loan for the building, of course, Mm. with those support business, as well as creating a sort of, you know, things make people happy about coming to Nisco. A lot of fun things for both the staff and customers. Right, right. So you started adding newer activities, you said. You started from rafting and you moved on to Yeah, duckies, kayaks, uh, mountain bikes, tracking. Right. Sups, sea kayaking, rafting in different venues. Now we've got a um, huge climbing gym in Sapporo as well as a small one here. Really? Yeah, it's 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 quite an, it's a beautiful gym. It's made in uh, Australian sandstone. Wow. So when you look at it, it looks like you've gone up to the Blue Mountains outside Sydney there, and it's all sort of in that um, orange and reddy sort of wow. colors of um, sandstone. It looks fantastic. Yeah. And the reason for that, it's in the shopping center. But when you think of rock climbing, the amount of people that rock climb in Sapporo, you know, probably be 50 or 60 people maybe. Mm. And so you can't rely on that as to repay that, making that upper gym and you know, right. keeping it as a business. Right. But if you have something that looks spectacular and every kid that goes in there, I want to climb up to, I want to climb up there. Yeah. And then you get people in and they become members and you start building your own um, rock climbing crowd. Yeah. At the moment, um, the kids academy over there is just, it's full, it's got waiting. Wow. It's, it's over a hundred kids. 
Well, I imagine this is you. When when did you build the climbing gym in Sapporo? It's been there for eleven years now. Okay, eleven years. I imagine just in the last few years, uh, things have probably yeah, really picked up. Yeah, for the Olympics. The Olympics, yeah, right? Bouldering. Got, yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah, the bouldering, the climbing. It's all sort of really made it so people want to get in and. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. So here in uh, Niseko, mm. uh, what are you looking at in terms of customers, annual customers? Do you have those figures in your head? Is it uh, in terms of the so, people who come through? Um, they're not, not totals or anything. Yeah. With the sort of the activities, just yeah. the rafting, the ducking, the mountain biking, those activities, we do around 30,000 a year. 30,000, yeah, wow. over the summer months. That's, that's incredible, considering the, the route that I had to take to get up here. 30,000 <laughs> <laughs> 30, It's not that far. It's, it's, only, um, it's less than two hours from Sapporo. Uh, by car, yeah. probably. Right, right. So if you're a, a lazy foreigner like me and you never go around to changing your and license for, over. If, even if it's by train, it's, only a, it's less than two hours by train from Sapporo. You went from Tose, so it's a bit longer. Yeah, that's true. Okay, that's true. Yeah. That's and so then we, we go and pick them up from the station. And yeah. Oh, really? Oh, that's yeah. nice. Yeah. So uh, in moving forward, um, you know, you mentioned that Niseko has become sort of a... It's sort of in the spotlight for Asian outdoor adventure tourism, right? Um, yeah, definitely. Yeah, and you're, you know... Uh, a bit of a lo- you know a local celebrity, I guess you could say. People uh, certainly, or at least my impression is that you know Hokkaido outdooring, uh, outdoor adventures, different things like that. Your your face is certainly attached with that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. We were the pioneers for it all. So right, right. Now, uh, talk to me a little about the area. Uh, we were discussing before we started uh, the podcast uh, that Nisko is a bit unique. Uh, for Japanese sort of rural municipalities. Ah, yeah, Could you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, yeah it's definitely unique. Um, I mean, it's become, since 2001, it's exploded into an inter- international resort. Right. Being a solely Japanese-only resort with the name Koksai, which means international to it, mm. which just about every resort in Japan has. It truly <laughs> became an international resort and it's getting yeah. stronger and stronger in, in the summer months as well. Mm. Uh, why? Because it's got the best snow in the world. Is that right? I'm allowed to say that, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. That's my yeah. sell point. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's got the best snow in the world. It just snows virtually from December, January, February. It just snows every day. Really? So there's... there's I mean, it snows everywhere in the world, but there's yeah. not many places like that. that right. It just snows just fresh non-stop. Snow. Yeah. Mm. So the skiing is always soft. The course is always soft. Yeah. And of course, there's lots of powder for those people that like that sort of skiing. Wow. You know, I have to confess, I'm a horrible skier. <laughs> well, actually, I've never been skiing. I'm a horrible snowboarder. My first experience on a mountain, I went snowboarding. Yeah, you want to go skiing the first time, I think. Yeah, yeah, I, I got that impression mm. after bruising my tailbone yeah. and <laughs> coming back and being put up for two weeks. But um, yeah, that's in, they, it, it's incredible. Uh, so what makes mm. it interesting as a country town with an mm. international resort is yeah. it really is international. Uh, we've got four resorts up here, and this is the main resort where we're sitting now. It's called Hirafu yeah. in Nisiko, Nisiko Hirafu, and 
it holds about a bit more than 10,000 people. In winter, all of those okay. will be foreigners. Wow. So you've got 10,000 foreign customers, 2,000 foreign workers, and a, wow. po- a local population of 15,000 people. <laughs> so you're, you're more or less doubling your population with foreigners. Yeah. And of course, these people have, um, come here on a ski holiday, so most of them are Fairly well off. Uh, fairly well off. <laughs> they, 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 they spend money. Yeah. And so when you look at some of the results, the convenience stores just across the road here will be the top in there in all the convenience stores really? sales yeah. in Hokkaido. The, the they'll, they'll be leading with the best. Yeah, they'll <laughs> the be leading at the Seiko Mart up the road there. Yeah. And then down in town, the shopping center, uh, sorry, the supermarket mm. will be the top of their chain in sales. Is that right? Wow. Um, I think... The guy that used to be the manager there, one of the supermarkets there, I was talking to him, he said their top Reggie tag was um, well, about $3,000, Sanju Man. Wow. Which is, for, <laughs> for a uh, super Reggie, that's a, <laughs> it's not Costco, so yeah, it's, it's yeah. a lot of money. That's incredible, mm. yeah. Wow, and and how, how was the... the progression then because when did, when did you feel like it had really become international 2001 2001 2001 yeah. two mm. Australian um, travel companies that had been coming here for about the last five years before that were trying to bring Australian guests to Nisco because they knew it was a great product right and it just couldn't get any traction mm. and 2001 of course we had um, the big terror thing in New York sure uh, the Iraq around the corner and that sort of thing so a lot of people sort of look for something else that year yeah you know you're talking about September so a lot of people looking for something else and these guys were running both products and they sort of said well why don't you try Nisiko and right. so instead of the usual 10 they got uh, 10 each they got they got 200 wow and that just <laughs> just broke over the critical mass because yeah. Australians Australians you know they sit at the pub and talk to anybody sure and so it just it really was word of mouth yeah and it just got around and then from there, after a few years, some of the Australians said, well, instead of just pensions and old hotels, we, we need condominiums here because mm. people want to stay for one week, two weeks, and sure. so they want to relax yeah. in something that's n- not so much like a pension that where you have other people that you've got to live with. Right. Or like a, the, really, the, during the bubble, you could set up a, a business hotel and still charge big top dollar. Mm. So none of the hotels are really very good standard. I see. So, yeah, condominiums. And yeah. so one of the guys that I know, he had some money from um, a bushfire that had burnt down his restaurant. He had the insurance money, so he thought, well, I'm going to set up a condominium. Mm. So he made some heights, which is like uh, just a two-story, four units. Yeah. And I think he was still writing the design on the paper, and he sold it all. <laughs> so then we went into the crazy era, which is still happening now, yeah. of... Um, you know, selling, buying yeah. and selling. So all the old pensions, you had about 50 pensions here. I think you got about five left. Oh man. They all sold. Wow. Which was great in several ways. The mm. buildings were getting old, so they got replaced with new buildings. Mm. The pension owners were getting old. Right. So they got this, until then they couldn't even sell their pension. Right. The right. banks wouldn't even loan money to somebody to buy a pension. And all of a sudden they were selling it for 200,000. <laughs> 
Next year they're selling for five hundred thousand. Yeah, yeah. Next year, oh, it was just going up, up and up yeah, and yeah. up. So these guys were getting this nice retirement money. <laughs> wow. You know, a job well done, guys. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Happy retirement. And so it sort of worked out that way. And so we've got a lot of new buildings. If you walk around the resort, mm. uh, you'll see it's just made up of you know lots and lots of new buildings. It could have been a little bit better managed by the town, of course. Mm. But this is you know an after site. If we all had that site before, then we would have done better. Yeah, sure. Mm. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Yeah, I would love to uh, take a bit of a walk around afterwards. I've only seen this this main building. Um, talk to me a little bit about doing business in Japan. Was it a interesting experience for you moving forward, trying to break into, uh, you know, no, I found it. it very easy. Really? Yeah. Talk to me about that. Why? Why do you think it was easy? I mean, some foreigners really struggle. I don't know. It's my business. first business, so. Oh really? Yeah. You just, <laughs> okay. You're the business owner. You're the boss. You just do what you want. Right. Right. <laughs> if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Try something else. Yeah. So in that case, you know, you're not. You haven't got the man above you saying, telling you what to do. Right. So. You know, I've always been a person that had lots and lots of ideas, and I was able to run with those ideas. Mm. Uh, the rafting, of course, you're using government property, a river, right. well, government public property, right? And uh, so we, when you approach the government, you you got to you got to try and work out where where you are with it. Mm. And with the rivers, uh, of course, Japanese rivers do flood, and so there's a lot of um, stuff done to the rivers uh, like making lee banks and things so right. they, they don't flood into towns and houses and things and so to ask permission mm. to go on the river with so much like concrete and different artificial things in there where the government's put ah, them in they're going to have to take responsibility potential liability yeah so they're going to say no right so you know that right but is there a rule that says you can't raft on the river? Mm. So what we did is we asked, is there a rule right. against rafting on the river? And they said, well, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so we started that way. So no one in Japan has permission mm. to raft rivers. No, but there's no... There's lots no. of rafting all over Japan. There but is, no one yeah. has permission to do it. But there's just, no rule against there's it. There's no rule against it. <laughs> okay. So if you're lucky, you can find that sort of gray zone that you can run with. Yeah. Because in the adventure and outdoor industry, that's most of you, just about everything you do will be involving public lands. Mm. Yeah, 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 that's true, that's true. How many people do you currently employ here? Oh, I don't know, about 80. About 80 here, yeah. yeah. 80 here and, and in Sapporo. In Sapporo as yeah. well, yeah. Now, are these... Uh, local residents or are you pulling people from other areas how do people you know get Nisco's, interested Nisco it's for Japanese people and for foreigners people come from all over yeah yeah. there's a few locals um, here I don't know there's one girl here that's just graduated from the local high school oh is that right yeah, I don't know if she's there now but yeah so we yeah are really keen to uh, employ locals but mm. very hard to yeah we have a big problem with language as in not being able to speak english right right and virtually if you want to work in nisiko now you have to be able to speak english sure we're 10, seeing 10, foreign customers <laughs> but on the other yeah. side of thing what we're seeing is a lot of 
Japanese people coming here that either been overseas who or who want to go overseas because uh. they come here because it's it's like a foreign place because there's so many foreigners and so it's a little bit more international than right. other places because such a got a big concentration in small area right right or they want to go overseas but this is just like one step before there they come here and they can practice their English I'd like to mm. see more university students coming up here in the university holidays mm to sort of you know just work as a waiter or a waitress or whatever mm. yeah yeah have that that international interaction because one of the problems i think we've got we have 2000 foreign workers coming here in winter mm. i'd like to see that drop by about 2/3 mm. and replaced with japanese people i see do you, how how will that be possible you know japanese people are drawn to urban environments right yeah, they talk about I mean, yeah not so much but this is an international resort definitely those uni- university students and and get those kids up here and get, give them the international experience inside japan mm. japan has a huge problem of getting international uh, getting kids to go overseas now yeah even exchanges and this is a great one step place and sort of create interest and as a product here it's a japanese resort mm. if the customers come and the only people they meet are foreigners i think it's wrong Right. Even though I'm a foreigner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. I I I know what you mean. It should be a good mix and I think it's just starting to edge over to a a mix that's getting a little bit too international. Mm. I see. I see. Um so talk to me a bit about the future of Niseko Adventure Center. You've added many different activities to date what are you looking at in the next 5 to 10 years we've got a couple more projects just just coming online now well, mm. which means i have a couple of ideas that i'm exploring yeah yeah um this is for the nisco area okay we do need to move a, a and create a couple of businesses outside the nisco area mm even outside of kaido i think just as a business because it's just um at the moment there's just too many eggs in this basket right right which means we saw it last september if there's an earthquake even if it's on the other side of hokkaido hokkaido just gets closed for that month or two right right and so if that's right in peak season you're going to say goodbye to a large chunk of your your company's um Consumer income base. for that yeah, yeah for yeah. that period so just as a company for stabilization of our company i think we need to create some more things we do have something in sapporo but i think we need to make a couple of things outside of hokkaido mm. um but it's interesting only really in the adventure industry adventure yeah. and sports is only what i'm interested in i i don't do um development of housing or anything condominiums or anything i don't do okay tr- you're not in real estate i'm not yeah. into um bringing people in to to touristing or anything like that we don't do tours as mm. a tour company I s- really it, some people do it and they do everything but you know I just want to do this yeah. yeah not really interested in doing anything else <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah well you certainly seem happy what's an average day like for you uh in summer sure that in, that's in summer yeah. the sun gets up here at about 3:30 really wow. <laughs> yeah <laughs> So if there's a wave I go for a surf. Oh yeah? Wow. Yeah. How how close are we to the to the ocean here? Um uh, from my house in Kuchan to the to the Japanese seaside the nearest break is 25 minutes. Okay. So the Pacific Ocean side is an hour and 15. Okay. 
So it's oh. a little bit further, but yeah. if you live in Hokkaido, you're sort of used to running those sort of miles. Yeah, sure. Mm. Okay, so go go for a surf in the morning. Yeah, go for a surf, waltz in here and see what's going on. Yeah. yeah. Usually I'm working on some sort of project. Yeah. And trying to start up a new thing. What we started up at the moment is uh, at Adventure Park, mm. which has been going for a year. Last year I, bought, I built a kids course in there. A kids course? Because uh, the adventure... Yeah. The adventure park is in the trees, so it's got oh, okay. challenges and zip lines and things between the trees. Okay, wow. And that's what a, a, a tree adventure park is. But ours is quite high. Mm. We thought it had to be at least about four meters high. Right. Because there used to be a lot of people ski in there, but when we opened it in, in winter as well, we noticed that they, we fenced it and the ski resort didn't want people skiing in there. Yeah. So we could actually create some lower courses and we needed it for the kids. Mm. So I put in a, a 15 challenge kids course. Wow. But it was really, really popular. So at the moment I'm, I've designed and I'm making a new one. So okay. that's what I'm doing at the moment. Yeah. As well as going surfing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. And yeah, just a heap of meetings. Yeah. yeah just for different things on different um, committees and think different things. Yeah. What what uh, you you do seem like a guy who's got his hand in mo- multiple different baskets, um, and you're just a unique figure in that you've been able to you know uh, you've had this great success here in Niseko. Do people come and you know get your advice? Uh, lawmakers, politicians, different things like that. About Businessmen. advice, but mm. you know, Niseko is a great working example for Japanese tourism and sure. and as well as the social aspect as well yeah of being an international cosmopolitan town yeah but i don't think the japanese government's quite up to that one yet right but just right. as a tourism destination an international one you know it's it's a great example and so we get a lot of um politicians and governing you know public servants coming in here to uh, have a chat with the different people up here yeah. to see how to make it work in somewhere else in Japan. Mm. Can it work somewhere else in Japan? I think yes, but there's a lot of work involved. Here we've got this huge product, right. you know, this this fantastic ski and snow. Natural product, right? Yeah, it's, it's just there. <laughs> yeah. It's a huge product. Yeah, And to make that into a, a product that's year-round, mm. to make all this investment worthwhile for the investors year-round, mm to make it worthwhile for people to come work here year round. Mm. Your objective is to increase your population of your local town right. with working people that right, want to work right. here year round and they're going to come here and have families and that. And also you're, you want you know, your town to become a, a better lifestyle place. Sure. So whether that's it's, it's money as well as you know, it's income for people, but it's also lifestyle. And I think most people that make a decision to come here and work, they want the lifestyle. Mm. They want to bring up their kids in a nice natural place, yeah. but they also need work yeah. at the level they want. And so Nisio has sort of been able to answer in a lot of ways and we've seen a huge movement. We have 650 foreigners living here with their families now year round yeah. and wow. 2,000 in the winter. Mm. And that's in a population of 15,000, which is which is quite huge, yeah. Like, especially for country Japan. I mean, you're coming from um, Nagoya, where there's yeah. foreigners on every corner, but right. here and just about anywhere in country Japan, 
a town will have one or two foreigners for sure. Yeah, sure. But to have 650 and you know all their kids in the school, it's just a fantastic thing to yeah. open up the eyes. And I was talking to a kid uh, a couple of years ago. He was primary school, year six. Mm. And I said, yeah, what do you want to do? And he said, listen, I really want to come and work at NAC, which is my company. He right, wants to right. come and work for me. And he said, but I, I can't speak English. Huh. I, I, what a state of affairs where <laughs> the primary school kid at six, yeah. six class, you yeah. know, a 12-year-old is saying that he needs to be able to speak English. Right. You know, the, the town has to answer that mm. when a primary school kid starts saying it. Right, sure. So that's one of the now things we've been trying to put a bit of effort into. Mm. The town has started all English uh, classes for the kids, which I think a lot of Japanese schools are doing. But uh, they're That's doing good. all English, uh, one hour a week for the younger kids and then two hours for the older kids. Mm. But we haven't seen that come up to the middle school yet, which is a shame. Yeah. Um, we're, we have a committee that's working on trying to get an international bakaroria, just one class into our local high school, which that's is good. run by yeah. the Hokkaido government. Okay. If it was a town, it'd be a one-step operation because it's a Hokkaido government, <laughs> then <laughs> it's sort of several steps away yet. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, uh, that Japanese are serious about learning English is one of the biggest lies that has been told for a long time. Um, I, yeah, it's a shame. They, yeah, the, I'm, you know, it's I'm, it's a realistic problem when your mm. town is so. It's got two main industries: farming and tourism, yeah. and the tourism relies so heavily on foreign people, and you need to be able to speak English to get Absolutely. a job here. And I, I mean, the the national government wants it. It's yeah. just taking a lot of time to get there. Yeah. And I, yeah. I think towns can jump a lot there if, mm. if they can work it out with the testing system. Because mm. a middle school student doesn't want to spend a whole heap of time learning on how to speak English if it's not an exam. Right. It's, it's a waste of their time. Right. They want to yeah. get into the best high school. Right. And if, if they, it doesn't matter if they speak English or not. Sure. So it's really about dissolving that side of things. Mm definitely need to get rid of katakana in English studies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Mm. That's true. Um, so, yeah, let's keep, uh, let's keep on the, the town itself, Niseko, and how it might serve as an example for other sort of rural areas moving forward. Uh, Japan, as you know, uh, is suffering from a decreasing population and aging population as well yeah I have the same problem <laughs> the aging problem <laughs> no, I, I, I don't imagine that uh, I imagine that you're quite that you're quite young in your your daily life bouncing around <laughs> surfing in the morning and things <laughs> yeah. like that right yeah you still got a long ways ahead of you but um, you know many many Japanese municipalities sort of are facing an in, unsur insurmountable hurdle there with the sort of urbanization and the uh, declining, declining birth rate. However, the Japanese government and Japanese society as a whole wants to do its part in helping to revitalize those areas, right? And one of the things that they're definitely trying to put their energies in, into is tourism, right? we have got over 30 million tourists uh, in Japan in the last couple of years. It's going to continue to go up. Prime Minister Abe is talking about 40 million for the Olympics next year, right? Um, so, Niseko, 
you know, you've had this great success here. You've got 650 foreigners living here, which is way above, if you take that as a percentage of the actual population, which is way above the, the Japanese average, right? You I know, think in winter, mm. with, with 2,000 at 12% or 11, 12% is the highest in Japan. Oh, there's no doubt about that, yeah. right? I mean, that's, that's six, you know, it's 2% of the the total population so you're looking at six times mm. yeah. <laughs> six times the average right so what what would you like to see in in other areas that are maybe not blessed with the best snow in the world <laughs> there's a few angles to that whether mm. it's from a tourism point of view or whether it's from how towns should be thinking you know first of all mm. Is your town a tourism destination is a big question. Yeah. And I think the government is just too eager with tourism and they sort of need to concentrate a little bit more. Mm. I think your hit, hit products need to be concentrated on right. and making them better first. Right, right. So a bit more selectivity? Governments won't do it because the Japanese government is more into doing everything fair for everybody. Sure, I sure. know, but I really think you you know you back your your top horses at the start, right, and make them into strong products. Mm. The things with tourists is they go for the, the brands first. Yeah, mostly. Yeah. I'm the same. You know, if I'm going to go to Canada to go skiing, I'll go to Whistler first because that's all I know. Right, right. And and the same goes for all around the world. You go to the brands first. Yeah. Or something that really interests you. Sure. Japanese people often go to but Kyoto. Um, what they're seeing, yeah, Kyoto for <laughs> yeah. sure. Or you Japanese know, tourists, that is. Sorry. But you look yeah. at Kyoto. I mean, it's a fantastic location and and I've been down there and, and been around some of the places down there. Mm. I mean, you could do so much more with the tours down you there. You really could. Uh, they're yeah. very, very dry. <laughs> I was really impressed with um, Kanazawa. Oh, yeah. And I the like Kanazawa well. um, yeah. Castle. Yeah. We went on a fantastic tour there. Yeah. And, you know, I could see the samurai marching up the road. You know, yeah. th it was just such a great tour. You know, right, you could see right. how it functioned in sure, that thing. Sure. And there's so many, so many things you could do there. Mm. And I just think Kyoto's lacking there a lot. But, mm. I mean, this is what the things they need to concentrate on. Right, right. Um, you know, I was in a, a meeting with David Atkinson the other yeah. day, and he was pointing out how far down the list most of uh, Japan's galleries and uh, museums and things are then they just don't rank in the world and when I thought about you know I think yeah you're right David because like I've never sort of gone to Tokyo and thought I've got to go to this museum right. or something like that right. whereas when I go home to Sydney I've got to go to the powerhouse museum I love yeah. that place yeah, yeah. and you know I'll go to Canada I've got to go to the Ontario Centre right right uh, it's just things that sort of ah oh, you just straight away you go to Paris you got to go to the Pompidou Center right and right. things like that little, there's yeah. great galleries and all that sort of thing but you know Japan's just not listed up there and they really need to approach those mm. and, and make those hit products right. whereas some towns you know they're receiving a lot of funds but they can't you know is there going to be tourism there Mm. And the main thing about tourists, I'll go to the hit places first and I think, well, what else is there to Japan? Mm. And from there, they'll start to find little bits and pieces mm. and start moving around. And from there, you sort of filter into the next, the next step of tourism. Yes. And I think by making strong tourist centres that'll keep going, mm. it keeps the industry alive and for a longer term. Mm. And, okay. you know, more sustainability in the industry. Yeah. So that's one of the things that concerns me. Um, the other thing is it's 
it's very hard in a lot of ways with government because the tourism part of government is working to all ends to get you know to make tourism work which is fantastic right but every other branch of government is business as usual yeah so if you think of what I do working in public um, forests and things like that mm. we're still seeing concrete walls being put up in the river we're seeing tetrapods concrete tetrapod blocks put in the rivers and okay. instead of beautifying things and thinking well how can we do this without sort of you know destroying the way it looks yeah the way the funding system works and the way the people that are getting the funding work is this is the way you do it. Right. And then they're not looking to trying to change that. Mm. You know, because that would mean doing something entirely different, which would be very hard for them. So unless right. from the top they sort of start getting, that they have to change it. Right. They won't do it. So I think it's still got a lot of work to be done. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, I've lived here for seven years now. I first came here eight years ago and I've, obviously I like Japan very much. I feel like there's tremendous potential, like you said, there's tremendous potential that, that's not being taken advantage of. I go back to the United States where I'm from originally and I'm amazed by the, one, the the scale of everything in the United States. Now, obviously, the population in the United States and the market is three times that of what it would be in Japan. And so I, I understand that there are various demographic differences there. But just sort of, uh, it's, it seems like the, the amount of attention, the concentration that's placed on the, the service sector, on marketing, on different things like that, just blows Japan out of the water. And I feel like you've got tremendous natural resources you've got tremendous historical resources here in Japan right that they're not just they're not being sort of utilized to to their utmost potential right Kyoto is a perfect example people love Kyoto but I've always found it quite inconvenient uh, it's only buses there's very it's hard to navigate the city in my opinion and I've always sort of shied away from it. I've been there, you know, a handful of times. Um, but that's, you know, that's just, that's just my experience. Now, uh, coming up here to Hokkaido. Hokkaido is, is fairly unique in that you've got Sapporo as the largest, the largest city. But that doesn't, Sapporo itself doesn't have anything, doesn't have much in terms of like manufacturing or industry or different things like that. Are you worried about Hokkaido as a, as a whole, as, as a region of Japan moving forward, compared to maybe Honshu or Hokkaido's Western? got by far the biggest potential. Mm, okay. In every, in every way. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, when it started, it started like when the Japanese came here, it originally started as, as its own republic. Right. Or for like three months or something. <laughs> you know, the Ezo, Ezo Republic. Republic of Ezo, sorry, what it was called. Yeah. And in, I mean, when you think about that, if Hokkaido sort of takes steps, instead of relying so much on the national government, but actually moves to take steps themselves to build industry mm. and build population, it might be through immigration or, right. or whatever. But right when you build population through immigration you need to take the social steps ahead of time sure 
you know, you need to have those Japanese classes for people coming right, in. Right. You need to have the structure ready to answer the problems that are going to happen. So it sort of becomes a, a good community. It's 200% self-sufficient um, because it's such a big agricultural right, place. Okay. It's got huge potential. I think way more than um, Honshu, just because it's, you know, it's so pr- spread out, it's, it's very acceptable to new things. Mm. Whereas a lot of uh, uh, Honshu, you find that it's very hard to get new things happening in country towns. Yeah. They're very yeah, set yeah, in their ways, and yeah. it's very hard to something new. So I think Hokkaido is very acceptable to it, and I think it's you know huge potential. I see. Have you ever lived outside of Hokkaido within Japan? No, I haven't. Really? No, I've so travelled a fair bit, but I've never lived anywhere. Yeah, I've so only ever lived here. Yeah. So thirty years then, almost. Yep. Right. Mm. Um, how? I, I mean, I guess things that for you have changed have changed remarkably. Um, probably far, far exceeded your expectations in many ways. You said this is still the the crazy period, right? It's still yeah, growing, definitely. Right? We're just seeing a, a, still seeing a lot of development happening yeah. in the resort area. Yeah. Um, Hanazono, which is the next resort on, is just in the midst of spending five hundred million dollars in investment. Wow. Um, we have a new place going up just next yeah. door to us. That's a huge. There's a couple of huge uh, hotels and sort of areas being developed at the moment just in Hirafu as well. Mm. I think the population here probably next two years, after about two years, it'll be 13, uh, 10, 15, almost the same as the town, I'd say. So, wow. Yeah, equal to the town, <laughs> the amount of people can stay up here. Right, right. So, <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. But I just think it's a really interesting area because you're getting so many foreigners living here. Yeah. And I, I think the government should take uh, efforts to, to look in that and try mm. different things up here because it's, it's the first time in Japan you've got such a concentration of foreigners in such a small area. Mm. So it's a good, good place to try different things right. for, you know, for social reasons. Right. What's going to work in Japan? If we have to get immigration, you know, if we have to get 10 million people to immigrate to Japan in 10 years' time mm. because we don't have enough population to run the place, if you do that and all of a sudden one of the governments makes that decision and does it, mm. it'll just be extreme. <laughs> it'll, it'll cause heaps of problems. Sure. But now you've got a huge population here of foreigners. You mm. can try different things and see what's going to work and see how you can develop the next Japan yeah. out of this area, which I, I think is really important. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, and, and I imagine many people are, are looking to you. <laughs> I don't know about <laughs> to looking help, to, to me. To help lead that. Yeah, I don't know about looking to me, way. but... Yeah. Well, certainly the area, just, yeah. Mm. At, you know, if I've got a voice and mm. I can, you know, suggest to different people that we should be, one of the things we should be doing is this, and. Uh, I, I get a lot of ideas with different things, so I'd like to try and suggest them and yeah. put them forward to in meetings and things like that. Yeah. And you know, hopefully, a lot of thing about Japanese government and, and even companies in some respect is I wait until things are, are really bad before they. <laughs> yeah. They they're very reactive. Sure. And I'd like to see a proactive uh, movement up here, but it does take good 
local government to be able to do that. Mm. And I don't think we've got the local government to be proactive yet. I see. I see. Now, you, uh, you have not naturalized, right? You've kept your... Yeah, I'm Australian with yeah. a um, permanent residency in Japan. Right. Have you ever thought about uh, naturalizing, getting Japanese citizenship? The Japanese government sort of never suggested it to me. <laughs> well, yeah, that's, uh, that's not one thing that they're very uh, well, excited about, right? They, well, I don't they, know if they they're excited it, about it or not, they, but they've never suggested it to me. I've never seen a commercial saying, well, why don't you become a Japanese citizen or anything like that. So quite for, a few hurdles, For the way I think of it, yeah. uh, you know, they're quite happy for me to be here as a foreigner with a permanent visa. and. Would rather I did not become a Japanese, you know. They're, they're not suggesting it to me, so right. it's not on my sort of list of things to do either. Right, right. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, I'm not. Uh, it's a, it's up in the air as to whether I will live here long term. I'm getting married in about half a year to mm. a, a girl I met in Osaka, and uh, I have, you know, when I when I sort of think about my future and having kids and different things like that um, and the potential for living here long term there's there's really nothing that there's no incentive for me to sort of go through the bureaucratic struggle <laughs> I just, to no, I mean, get my citizenship. It really is. If, yeah. if, if the Japanese um, you know as a nation they were sort of suggesting to foreigners to become Japanese citizens, I'd definitely consider it, but mm. they're not at the moment, so it's fine. Right. I'm, I'm quite comfortable where I am with things, and I don't want to be a politician. Right. Outside well, that's, that. that's what I was going to ask of you. No, <laughs> no, I like surfing too much. I yeah. don't want. To, I don't want to be strapped to a desk. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I hate desks, and I hate sitting at desks. Yeah. Um, very short attention span. <laughs> <laughs> well, it fits the profile for an outdoorsman. Then. So yeah. yeah, if I sit at a desk, it'll be you know, just to bang out some sort of proposal and then I want to be out of there. Right, right. But, yeah, I don't want to be a politician. And, yeah. like, the, the stuff I do it now is I get to work on the things that I'm interested in right. and get to suggest things to the government and um, push agendas. Right. Uh, in a sort of almost a lobby, lobbyist sort of fashion. Okay. But, you know, I'll, I'll write out an idea and I'll, I'll write it completely out as an, a proposal mm. and then pass it to the government. And that way it goes around the different departments and they can see what, whether they think it's a good idea or a bad idea or, yeah. you know. And some years on they might use it. Sure. You know, it usually takes a few years for things to happen. But, you know, it might be the base of something. And then I've done some good and I'm quite happy. But if you're doing a politician, you've got to deal with everything else as well. Yeah. yeah it's all There's glory no doubt about that. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely don't want to do that. Yeah. So, uh, but how long did it take you to start sort of leveraging that position and the success that you've had here to try to sort of affect a change in other areas of Japanese society? It's a society? learning process for me. Mm. I'm, I think I'm a very slow learner as well, but it's a learning process. Mm. Um, you know, I've been on committees, just local committees and Hokkaido committees, government committees all along and like especially like early 2000s and things like that, the committees were generally just, you were on there because the government department wanted to do something and they needed to refer to some uh, inverted commas experts right. to get the rubber stamp right. for their proposal. 
and you go in there and you say this and that and nothing really happens and it goes like that but as you go on you sort of get a bit more cluey with mm. how they work and 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 like lately not aggressive but like if I put forward a proposal I'll usually and it ceases to take I'll usually back it up mm. with a written proposal that way it goes to every branch every it goes above the people that are in the meeting and gets right. passed around and you know you can affect a bit of change mm. also you know you've got to speak up in meetings mm. but like as a foreigner you, you can't sit there and whinge but you yeah. you need to be constructive in the mm. meetings mm. and at the moment what i'm seeing is the national government meetings are very high level and they they're into constructive they're having that meeting not to mm. get their own agenda rubber stamped right. they're having that meeting because they want this opinion from the different people and they want some ideas right and they want to know you know how their efforts are going and how to move ahead right or if they're doing this is right or whatever and usually the meetings i go to will have somebody from every department there mm so even though you might be talking tourism you'll have somebody from every department sure sure so you'll be able to address them say we want mountain bike courses on uh ski courses mm. you know say you know to do this you you'll have to rethink your understanding of a ski course right. and the way it's rented out and all this sort of thing right and you know to to get this sort of side of um this side of tourism happening you need to sort of think out a bit out of the box and so, mm. so at the moment what we're seeing with um that side of thing is they they'll say okay well we're we're you know it's all new to us but we won't say no we'll, we'll you know any anything will come under positive consideration mm. which is all you can ask for sure. but it's a lot different from what we're getting <laughs> 10 years ago yeah mm. yeah yeah i imagine uh this is a good a good segue to uh the final question that i ask in every podcast you mentioned you know as a foreigner when you're sitting on those committee meetings you have to speak up you have to get your voice heard it is but it. you got to be careful because mm. like foreigners are the, the you know the noisy people in in town <laughs> you in, seem quite soft spoken though uh, <laughs> maybe but you know the, they're the noisy people the people complain about this and that and you know yeah. things in japan are done differently and sure so you got to accept that first yeah and work work constructively mm. is the most uh, the best advice and you you got to see it from both pr- perspectives yeah well, not just both but from all the stakeholders sure which is the same in any committee anywhere in the world right you got to be looking at all the stakeholders and if you're pushing in an agenda for somebody or for yourself or you're trying to get something done that's going to be better for the community or the government's about to do something you really don't want them to do right you know you have to sort of work out what's going to be effective and yeah. it might it might mean to go to a different level of government or a different level of politician to get it get mm. things answered mm. it, it can be quite hard yeah sure mm. no but that that sounds like uh some the good old fashioned japanese uh sanpo yoshi which is good for the good for the buyer good for the seller and good mm-hmm. for the community as well right and i might think that that certainly is true what you're doing here seems to be have been tremendous <laughs> for niseko right? how did you know you start with one raft one raft and it turns into all of this yeah i yeah i like what we're doing for the area i i really want this to become like the 
known as the sort of outdoor capital of Asia. Yeah. Not just sports, but outdoor cafes, mm. you know, outdoor galleries, outdoor events. Just this is where you come to get away from the smoggy, sweaty, sweltering city. Sure, sure. Yeah. And all of Asia's like that in summer. Right. And I think it's just such a strong product in that way. And because we have a long-term stay environment here with condominiums and hotels mm. that are, are world-class, yeah. it's a good place to come and spend a week or two weeks yeah. and then come back the next year, you know, to make this your holiday destination. Mm. But to get to there, we still need understanding from the Japanese government that they need to make more outdoor things, not just pay, things that people pay for. Right. I mean, can you imagine trying to convince the Japanese government, okay, in Tasmania a couple of years ago, they spent uh, a couple of million dollars spending, uh, building 80 k's of mountain bike trails. Okay. Okay. I can go to the government here and can you spend $2 million in spending 80 k's of mountain bike trails? It's not going to happen. Yeah. yeah. Uh, there's just not that sort of understanding. And one of the hardest things for government to do is to spend money on um, fun infrastructure. Sure. You know, it's, it's not a concrete building. They can't say, this is what we spent your money on. Right, right. So it's, it's a very hard sort of area. But I can't mm. build mountain bike trails because everyone's going to use them, so there's no return for me. Right, right, that's true. But the, the payoff, the contribution to the area as a whole would be undeniable, right? But it's hard to get that point across, I see. Um, anyway, if there's anything you'd like to add here at the end where where can people find uh yeah find this, out about the this area? is uh my company is NAC yeah or Nisiko Adventure Center as it started off yeah as it's um on the web page at NACadventures.jp that's where you can find us yeah and that's got all the information about the company yeah and basically we just have a lot of whole lot of fun a whole yeah. bunch of guides to uh have fun with you uh, winter and summer, uh, we're always outside doing something. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I'm sure this is going to continue to keep growing and, you know, maybe if I get my courage up, I can come back and, and test out snowboarding or skiing oh, up here once again. Yeah. So long as the snow is soft. So, anyway, thanks again for doing this. I know you're really busy. I, I appreciate you taking the time. Oh, it's all right. So, yeah. yeah, you're welcome. Yeah, okay. And so anyone who, who listens to this, make sure you come and check out NAC. Uh, best snow in the world, people.